Welcome to another edition of the Membership World podcast. My name is Gordon Glenister and I'm the founder of Membership World. This edition is sponsored by our friends at RD Mobile, the complete membership events engagement platform. Now, in this series, I'm going to be interviewing CEOs from the membership sector, and they'll be bringing insights and personal stories of their challenges and success stories with loads of takeaways. I'll also be talking to thought leaders and others able to support our community. But before we get started, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast just to make sure that you don't miss a future episode. So today's episode, I'm talking about why CEOs of membership organisations should be active on social media. And with me to talk about this are two great people. First of all, uh, Alicia Russell, who's the VP of Global Marketing at Influencer Marketing Platform Analytica. And secondly, Damien Corbett, who's the author of The Social CEO. And Membership World partnered with Onalytica to produce an amazing insightful report by evaluating the social profiles of over 300 CEOs in the membership sector. The report highlights the top 50. So I started by asking my guests to tell me a little bit about who they are. I'm Alicia. I'm the VP of Global Marketing at Onalytica. Onalytica are the market-leading B2B influencer marketing platform that specialises in tech influence marketing and social media advocacy. So we work with brands like Microsoft, IBM, Ericsson, Google, Amazon. We kind of help marketers and comms professionals to accelerate their efforts, whether it be they want to drive more brand awareness within a particular market or audience, or they want to change their brand perception in some sort of way or they want to amplify their content they want to create much higher quality content that influences their target audiences or they have an event that they want to amplify so there's a tons of different use cases that we work with brands but we essentially help them to identify the most influential and key voices in their markets and on the topics that they care about and we connect them also with their influential employees and execs as well. So we help with that identification stage and also to build a program and to listen to those communities that matter, engage with them and to measure the results and impact that, that has on their wider marketing and business objectives. So that's kind of Analytica in a nutshell and my role, so I lead the marketing team. It's weird kind of marketing a marketing product because In a way, it's really good because I understand what our clients are trying to achieve because I'm also trying to achieve the same sort of things. And we do practice what we preach or drink our own champagne, eat our own dog food. I've heard someone else say of that analogy. We work with a lot of influencers ourselves. So we're constantly talking to influencers, collaborating with influencers that are really prominent in the marketing community. I'm leading the marketing team and we're just trying to grow the business as much as we can and to help as many brands as possible. So I'm kind of leading the marketing strategy and creating as much content as we possibly can to help the market move forward and to mature B2B influencer marketing. Cool, cool. Uh, And Damien uh, as well, lovely to, to see you. Tell us a little bit more about what you do. I'm basically a free agent. So I work with companies and leadership teams to help them with their social media to understand why it's important and I also have co-written a book called The Social CEO which came out a couple of years ago the paperback came out this year and that 
is a combined effort of a whole bunch of different people, some of them CEOs, some of them sort of sector experts and things like social selling or PR. And everyone wrote a chapter explaining why social media is so important for leaders to use these days. And it was great to actually get CEOs themselves from a whole range of sectors talking about why they use it, why it's important, and most importantly, why they would never go back to not using it. Um, so that is me in a nutshell. I'm also a freelancer. I do copywriting. I do all sorts of things in my spare time. I have a background of about 20 years in business-to-business PR. And of course, um, you joined us a little while ago when we did the roundtable event at Membership World, uh, which was uh, hugely engaging. And one of the reasons that we did that was to promote this new report, which is the Social CEO, which uh, Analytica and ourselves put together. And there were some really fascinating insights in that. What we analysed was over 300 CEOs within the membership sector and trade association. I don't think that has really been done before. When we look at, um, you know, largely social media presence, particularly in this quite niche area, I hadn't really seen anything like this before. And so, you know, looking at organisations of different sizes, you know, how are we going to try and measure that, I think was, was going to be a bit of a challenge. But by taking large and small organizations, the best way to sort of analyze somebody's effectiveness, of course, is with their engagements. There were some interesting findings there, wasn't there? Yeah, it was really interesting. And what you said about different size organizations, what I find really fascinating as well is that typically the big brands can learn a lot from the small brands. I think big brands are kind of almost comfortable and a bit complacent in that they know they've got a market and they, you know, they're bringing in the business and they don't really see the need. Whereas smaller businesses, I think, have to be a bit more creative. And I think that's what helps them to stand out by being more present and vocal on social media so that they can connect with their audiences and ultimately win them over to be a part of their business. But that being said, I think even though big companies, you know, have bigger market share, it's still a question of trust. I think brand loyalty is kind of taken for granted. And as soon as an audience are aware of a smaller company that's just entered the market, but they're really disrupting it and they have perhaps a a completely different outlook on a solution, we don't have to be loyal to brands. So I think it's really time for, for bigger brands to start stepping up and actually taking social media really seriously. But I mean, as far as the report goes, I think the most interesting insight that we saw, which was on LinkedIn, is that original content performs so much better than shared content or branded content, which is unsurprising, really. And what it tells us is that on LinkedIn, don't create content for content's sake and actually create content that's useful. Don't just post for the sake of posting and to get your stats up to say, I've posted 30 times this month actually think about what you're posting and like know what your audience care about what does your audience comprise of what things do they want to know and learn about what challenges and struggles do they face how can you speak to them and provide as much value as possible and I think that's why original content does perform so well because it's thought out and it's relevant whereas just sharing someone else's content on LinkedIn Unless you're adding your own insights and own take to it, it doesn't really add any value. No, I agree with you. It's almost almost like cheating. So if you see an article from the BBC, rather than just share it, and I've seen that before, it's got like hardly any views. Whereas when um, I've written my own post, but I may have uh, used the BBC article that I'd seen in context, 
then suddenly the level of engagement and responses is far higher because it's all about people want, you know, they follow you because they want to hear from you, not necessarily from other people that you're sharing. Yeah, I mean, that's so true. It almost seems like a no-brainer. It's like common sense. Why wouldn't you put your spin on what you're sharing? If you were showing somebody an article on the train or something, and you say, oh, you know, have a look at this article. It's really interesting because it's just laziness. I think it's very easy for people just to share and think they've done something. I mean, I run three LinkedIn groups. I know what LinkedIn groups are like, and most of them, because I've trawled through so many groups similar to the ones I run, And most of them is just people sharing a link to an article and they think, oh, that's great. I've shared some content. They don't add any extra value. And so in the groups I run, for example, I don't allow that. I check everything before it goes live. People are not allowed to share links on their own. They have to add value to what they're sharing. Otherwise, it's just deleted. But I think it's just easy to think you've done the job by clicking share. If you're not adding value to people, why bother? Yeah, it's a bit like, imagine if you were reading a newspaper and it had no articles, just headlines and pictures. And you'd be like, it's it's completely useless. And to be fair, some people read content like that and they're headline readers and you can tell. And they get brave on social media and start quoting an article. And it's like, you clearly haven't read it because you've gone off the headline, which was complete clickbait. If a newspaper had no content, just headlines, it would be not informative or interesting to read at all. And I think it's exactly the same with social media. I guess you've got to put yourself in your audience shoes and think, would I read this? Would I find this useful or would I scroll past it? That's the question you've got to ask yourself when curating your own feed. You think there's an age difference here. In other words, 50, 60 plus people that often might lead some of these trade associations and professional membership bodies, they haven't ranked it as highly as getting in industry press or whatever, and perhaps left it to their social media teams to sort of promote the organisation. And I was going to ask you, Damien, do you think that's good enough in this day and age for, you know, CEOs, and I'm talking particularly around trade associations, professional membership bodies, um, whether or not it's, um, it's the right thing to do? I don't think it's good enough at all, but it's what the majority of them do because they don't understand social media. So we're kind of in a bit of a quandary because until people in leadership positions actually understand what social media is about, it's not just about broadcasting, it's about actually adding value, getting into conversations with stakeholders, getting feedback, listening, all of those things. But most, the more old school leaders, perhaps who think, oh, social media, it's what my kids do. You know, they share pictures of their lunch. I mean, this is stuff you heard 10 years ago, but some people still think like that. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing, to try and get leaders to understand what it's all about. Because until they actually get it, it won't filter down into the rest of the organization. But when you get those trade association leaders who actually do understand social, and even though they might not be doing it all themselves, they take an interest in what's going on. They have an input. Best thing is when they start sharing content through their own personal accounts, be that LinkedIn or Twitter or both, or even Instagram sometimes. That's where the real value comes in because then you kind of see the, the personal face of the person leading the organization, leading that association they're interested in what they're doing. They're sharing their take on what's going on. And that adds to what the organization's own social media accounts is doing. It's it's like a two-pronged attack. And I think leaving it just to the social media team and the corporate account, you're missing a whole trick there. Because I think people listen to what a leader says. They'll take a lot more notice of that than they'll see from a corporate account. It's like, okay, well, that's some messaging. But when the CEO says something, then you're going to maybe stop and listen a bit more. I guess some of the challenges may have been 
trade associations are can be quite politically driven. In other words, they're representing an industry. I mean, I've seen some very good examples of CEOs really promoting them themselves on what what they're doing and what's happened over the last sort of 12 months. Somebody like Chris Keith, for example, who's the chief executive of the Association of Event Organisers, I've just noticed he's got a uh, an accolade from Buckingham Palace. And he's actually shared that more recently on LinkedIn. And it's got loads and loads of comments from people because he's been very active, uh, particularly on LinkedIn, and uh, really, obviously, the events industry has had a horrendous period of uh, uh, lots of people have lost their jobs, business have gone bankrupt, all sorts of horrific things. And I've seen him on mainstream news. And the reason why I've seen him on mainstream news is because I follow him on social media, not because I happen to be watching that BBC news at that particular time. So he's doing something maybe in one media channel, but using social media to continue the conversation. Yeah, I agree. And I think also adding to that, if we look over the last year, and you can imagine being an event organiser and being in that industry, how it must have been decimated. So having a leader who's actually out there talking about what they're doing to try and get things picked up, what they're doing to try and lobby, all of that stuff. That's really encouraging for the people. And then they'll see that on social, they'll then see it on other channels. That's going to encourage members of that industry to think, oh, this person's actually working hard for us. And of course, using social media is part of that. Well, we shouldn't forget, Alicia, should we, that actually, even if somebody only gets a few comments and likes, that doesn't mean to say that a bigger audience aren't seeing what's going on. Um, I think people tend to get disheartened sometimes when they see, oh, I've only got sort of uh, 15 views or or I've got four likes. But actually, there are still loads of people potentially that could well be viewing that that just haven't decided to comment or like. Well, I mean, that's the beauty of LinkedIn, that the way the networks work, you can reach other people's networks by if your immediate network engage with it. And that kind of brings me to a point as, as I was just listening then of like this perception of social media. And I'm talking more about LinkedIn here, which I think is the most important platform for any business, is it was built to be a networking platform. It's a digital platform to connect with people and meet like-minded people like you would at an event or something like that. When you put it in terms like, would a membership association CEO bite at the chance to get all of their members in a room where they could just have an open chat with them? Absolutely. And LinkedIn is a great way to do that. You know, it's a great way to connect with your audience. If you set this unrealistic expectation that you want to get hundreds of likes and thousands of views, you're going to be disappointed because that's not just going to happen immediately. But as a membership association CEO, chances are your network is full of members and full of people that are relevant to your industry. So if 10 people like it, that's amazing. That's 10 people in your industry that have gone, yes, I like this content. It's really relevant to me. I found it really useful. That's still 10 people. It's nothing to be disappointed by. And probably there's another 100 people have seen it, but just not commented. That's my point. Most people are passive viewers of social media. So people are seeing what you're saying. They just don't always tick the like button. Exactly. And to your point earlier, Damien, and it got me thinking because... We're very well, I mean, I work in, in in marketing and I work very closely with our sales team. So we're a very like sales revenue driven marketing team. And there's a, a stats out there, like it takes 20 touch points before you buy into something. And I think it's the same kind of thing with this, where they might be sending out email comms to their members. They might be sending out newsletters. They might be sending out physical letters. 
And if you add social media onto that as well, they'll really start thinking that you really care about them and that you're trying to share as much useful content as possible. And they'll be more likely to buy into what you're trying to do for their industry. They're seeing it in multiple different formats. That's a model that's widely accepted in sales and marketing. But I think it's exactly the same when it comes to something like this. 100%. And particularly consistency of posting so that you are right. You're Because we are consuming content in all sorts of different ways now, aren't we? Whether it be Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. But it's important for the individual Uh, CEO to be consistent in what he's saying in all of those platforms. He's the person that stands for, you know, I always talk about a brand and it's a person or or a company is what somebody says about you when you're not in the room. That's what's really, really uh, important, I think. Well, this has been really insightful. Um, uh, We're going to take a short break now, but uh, we'll come back to uh, Alicia and Damien right after this. This podcast is sponsored by RD Mobile, providing events and member engagement solutions used by organizations worldwide. RD Mobile can help your organization deliver value at your next virtual or in-person event and throughout the year. Visit us at rdmobile.com to learn more. Here we are back again with Alicia and Damien. So really want to talk about some great case studies, actually. I mean, let's start with you. Do you know some great CEOs that perhaps are not in the um, membership and trade association sector that are really doing an amazing job? And then I'm going to have a chat back with you, Alicia, about some of the people that we highlighted in the report that were doing some really interesting things in the sector. So, Amy, first of all, perhaps give me some ideas of some people that you really do admire that are, are really embracing it. Perhaps why? Okay, well, there's obviously some of the CEOs who contributed to the book. So let's start with one. His name is Jack Salswaddell, and he is the CEO of American Family Insurance in the States. So it's not a member organization. It's an insurance company. But he's such a great example of a social CEO because he lives and breathes the company. He works really well with the comms team. So they're always giving him really good content to share. But he also puts his own spin on things as well. So, you know, he will talk about community outreach programs that they might be doing. But he'll also talk about new products that they might have on offer. But then he'll also share some things about his personal life. He likes sports, so he might share a picture at a baseball game. He actually supports Tottenham Hotspur. So he supports an English team as well, a football team. So he'll talk about that. And I've even had a little banter with him about football occasionally on Twitter. How many CEOs do that? But obviously, he sets aside a certain amount of time for it. It's not all off the cuff. I think a lot of it is kind of very much planned out, but he does it himself. But the stuff about sports and that sort of thing, that is just very much, he might be doing that in the evening when he's at home, and it's all very kind of like spontaneous. So it's a great mixture. But what he does as well is he champions his employees. In the days when people could travel, he would often go to different offices and then he'd do a selfie with the staff. And it's just a nice thing because it champions the staff and makes them feel part of a big family. So Jack is a great example. Another one, also from the USA, is a guy I came across not that long ago. He's called Brian Garish, and he is the CEO of Banfield Pet Hospital. It's the largest chain of veterinary surgeries in the US. That's like a massive organization. So he focuses on Instagram. Most of the young vets are on Instagram. So that's where he focuses. His focus is less on the external, but more on the internal social. So he has chats 
with staff. He'll do weekly chats on Instagram where they can ask him questions. And he very much focuses on promoting the staff, promoting well-being in the organization, listening to what people are saying about issues. His philosophy is put your staff first and then the business will flourish. Since he's come on board, it's amazing. But he uses social, he uses Instagram very, very much to do that. One final one, her name is Polly Neat, and she's the CEO of Shelter, which is the charity for homelessness. And Polly's great because she's a real advocate for Shelter. She's the chief fundraiser. She's the chief lobbyist. Whenever there's something in the news that's about homelessness, she's right on it. She's sharing it on LinkedIn and on Twitter. But then she also, she likes rock climbing. So she shares on her Instagram account pictures and videos of her rock climbing during the weekends. But with all of these things, what you're doing is you're seeing the human being. You're seeing the real person, somebody who you can see as being authentic, trustworthy, but who really knows their stuff and really cares about their business or their industry. And they use social to do that. Just thinking about what you've said, uh, a, a good friend of mine who's a great thought leader is a guy called Warren Knight. He works with uh, lots of uh, CEOs, but he has this amazing part-time hobby, which is beekeeping. And so he brings in to his whole life, he brings into all of his speeches, all of his presentations, a lot of his social media about his bees. And what's really fascinating is, I think he's even done a talk about the his buying digital marketing with bees and he's talked about the relationship with the two but why not why not bring in these things what brian does is often when you see him on doing his interviews he's got his cats climbing all over him <laughs> yeah you yeah know? and that's just you know it's it makes them memorable doesn't it it doesn't make them so, so and I, I i generally think that we are moving away from the corporate speak now to the to the personal speak and maybe it's the pandemic that has, that has brought this out, where we are trusting individuals more than we are companies. Alicia, what about some of these great case studies that we picked out of the report? Craig Bennett, who's the CEO of the Wildlife Trust, what he does, his most prominent channel is LinkedIn. And what he does amazingly is working for a nature type business is that he takes a lot of pictures out in nature and shares that on his Twitter and his LinkedIn, which I think is so simple. It's relevant, but it still feels kind of personal. You feel like you're going on a journey with him, like going out and about and finding these lovely spots. A CEO of National Trust, but she goes around and visits the National Trust sites and documents that as well. So again, like you feel like you're going on a journey with her, but it's still relevant to her industry and I guess what she represents as well. Sophie Devonshire does a great job as well, the CEO of the Marketing Society. And you'd expect that being a marketing professional. And I think it's a lot more expected because she's in an industry where it's a lot more understood and marketers are, are typically pretty good at being vocal on social media. But she does a great job at making sure that she's being super vocal and connecting with her audience on there. Another example from Twitter, she's the president of the NUS, the National Union of Students. When you look at her profile, it's almost refreshing because she is so candid in how she pushes out content and she really focuses in on the topics that students care about and she's not afraid to be political. So she'll comment on things like Black Lives Matter because she knows that that's going to be a topic that will be really affecting her community and, and her audience which I think is amazing. And like going back to the points of what you were just saying of being human, no one goes around and speaks in business talk all the time. Like they're writing an email. Hi, hope you're doing well. 
kind regards it's weird no one goes around talking like that and we, we actually interviewed this guy on um, one of our podcast LinkedIn lives and he said it's his biggest hate when he reads an email or a blog post and he goes can you please read aloud what you've just written to me on the phone now and then they'd read it aloud. You go, would you say that in person if you weren't writing it down? And he makes them reword it because he's like, just write it how you'd say it. Obviously, you know, you need to keep some things private and uh, I guess have a filter. But at the end of the day, we connect with people based on the personality that they have and their character and their values. We don't just connect to someone based on their job title. That's the least interesting thing about someone, you know, what their LinkedIn says about them. It's more what they bring to the conversation and bring to the table. So... I think if you want people to actually follow you and connect with you and want to engage with you, then you do need to bring your personality forward. Yeah, I guess from the membership sector's perspective, it does depend on the type of membership organisation. So, for example, the Hairdressing and Beauty Federation, I know, are massive on Instagram and Facebook uh, because of the nature of their members. So it's really important that the CEO is on the platform relevant to where their members are. Fish where there's fish. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. What about, uh, I mean, YouTube? What do you think about YouTube for CEOs? I know that there are CEOs who do use it. I think to do YouTube, sometimes it's a bit more of an investment sometimes, or people perceive it's more of an investment because you kind of need to do edit, editing and that sort of thing. But I think these days, someone like Brian Garrish in the States at Banfield Pet Hospital, you know, he will do Instagram live videos. So he just bypasses YouTube. YouTube, I think, is important. And I think if you're creating some sort of video, I think it's great to put it on there. And I think there's no harm in doing that because you can share a YouTube video on any other platform. You can share a link to it from, from LinkedIn or from Twitter. So I think if you are doing video, it's great. And I think video is, is a much underused thing because I think people think it just takes more time and they're worried about how they look. But perhaps with the whole remote meeting thing that people have got used to over the last year, I think people are getting more used to seeing their faces and hearing their voices. And it's certainly something that I think is perhaps underused. It can sometimes come across as a bit contrived, though, if you're kind of just talking and people have to listen to you. But I think it's how you do it. If you do it in the right way and you're engaging and you're talking about issues that you think people really care about, perhaps people have sent in questions or something and then you're responding to those. So you're actually providing some value. I think that's where YouTube and video can be really useful. I've just started funny enough, a Facebook roundtable event. And it's a regular slot at nine o'clock every Wednesday. And it's quite interesting to see how that has developed. Even, even we didn't have a huge number of people, but actually I would argue that the smaller the group, the more intimate and the higher the value that people are more able to want to share. I would suggest that by the end of that, of that hour, and there's two people on there that I've never met before, you feel like they were, they were literally, chair. Oh, I can connect you with this person, I can connect you with that person. It's almost if trust is there and people feel at ease, and it's amazing what they will share. What, what, what do you think about the question that says, oh, it takes too, too long to do social media? By, you know, I've got uh, all of these messages coming in from all of these places. I haven't got the time. I think if social media is taking you too long, you're doing it wrong, is what I would say to that. As a CEO of a membership association, you should have your finger on the pulse anyway. So all you're doing is taking that knowledge that you have and condensing it into a few sentences and summarising what the article said and why you think that's valuable to your members and putting it in a social post. 
I might occasionally spend a decent amount of time on a post, but more when I'm posting a piece of analytical content because I want to make sure the links work and I'm, I'm directing them to the right place. But when I'm sharing a, a, something from my industry, I'll just see it, find it interesting, read it, and I immediately know, oh, okay, they're the three points that I found particularly interesting. I might spend five minutes writing it and then I might spend a few more minutes tagging people in the industry and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't take me long because I know what I want to say. So I, I know it's easier said than done. It might take someone that's not used to social media a bit longer while they try and get used to like how you post, you know, using hashtags and tagging people and all that kind of stuff. But but yeah, I think for the most part, if you think it takes you too long, you're not doing it right. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I just think it's excuses because I think it comes down to not understanding how it works. And, you know, we live in a social media age and trying to bury your head in the sand and pretend it's not there is actually quite irresponsible, I think. If you're a leader... Even if you're not engaging, you need to understand this stuff. This is all around us. You know, you really need to get your head around it and you need to understand it. You need to understand how valuable it can be as well as a listening tool. Twitter, for example, it's like the global brain. Everyone who's anyone is on Twitter. Why not tap into that? Even if you're just listening to what experts in your industry are saying, a daily check-in just to see what people are saying. I mean, I just don't understand why people wouldn't find the time for that. And it doesn't take a lot of time. You could spend... 10 minutes a day it doesn't take a lot more than that to add to what you just said as well and this applies to anything people are very quick to use i don't have the time as an excuse it's like people say oh i want to get in shape but i don't have the time it's like well if you want it enough you will find the time that comes down to they don't understand the value if they did they would find the time maybe it takes people like us to try and educate the market a bit more and help them see almost put it to them in like okay so do you want to connect with your members on a personal level and they would say yes do you want to be seen as the leading voice on the issues that matter to your members yes of course we do it's like oh do social media then it's so obvious just frustrates the hell out of me in every aspect of life when i hear excuses i read between the lines and go you just can't be bothered and social media is effectively free you can obviously do the paid stuff but you can do it free and you can get a lot of bang for your buck that's it for another edition of the membership world podcast Please don't forget to follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram or Facebook. And if you do want to ask me any specific questions about particular issues, then do let me know. Once again, a reminder to hit subscribe. If you would feel like it as well, do give us a nice review because it makes a huge difference to developing our audience. If you want to take part in any of the membership programs I run or want to get to receive regular great content, then please register on the Membership World website. It's free to anyone running membership bodies or communities. You can also download the Social CEO Report, which I spoke about a little earlier, uh, which is on our main website front page. So lastly, thanks again to our sponsor, RD Mobile, and my producer, Neil Whiteside from Freedom One. And so until next time, from me, Gordon Glenister, it's bye for now.